This is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together, we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The Apostle Paul wrote those words to the church in Corinth. In essence, he was saying, if you need to know whether or not the gospel I'm preaching is authentic, just look at your own lives. One of the most amazing things God chooses to do as He reaches out to a lost world is use us. He uses our gifts and talents. He even uses our weaknesses. Our guest today has a story that has been used to to touch many, many lives. Jeff Luddington has the gospel written on his heart in big, glowing letters. At just the right time, Jesus reached down into Jeff's life when he was at his lowest and brought him into the kingdom. So I'm excited and honored to share Jeff's story with you in this episode. Give it a listen. I'm sitting here with Jeff Ludington for the Organic Outreach Podcast. It's great to have you here, brother. Man, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we're here at the Organic Outreach and, and Intensive here at Shoreline Church in Monterey and having a great time learning, uh, leading, talking with other leaders. Um, brother, it's always, anytime I get a chance to see you again and say hi, it's a blessing. Thank you. How have things been going? Good, yeah. good, man. We're in a new building with the church and doing some things. So always crazy, but honestly, really good. That's awesome. So, so I know you as a pastor at Generations Church. I know you as someone who's on the teaching team rotation for Organic Outreach. Uh, we've known each other for a season. We were in the same denominational family, um, and, and there might be people who know you that way as that guy. Right. But uh, your journey to becoming. Uh, that guy to to reaching where you are now is is a fascinating one, and yeah. I I can't have you on the podcast without giving you a chance to just share a little bit of your story uh, with people who might not know it. So take it away. Okay, yeah, that's a big How'd one. How'd you um, get here? <laughs> yeah. So to sit here and be a pastor today, especially over a podcast where you can't see me, you may think one thing. Uh, that's not how I got here. So um, I came from uh, really my. My story, every time I, I think through this, it really begins with a divorce. My parents were five and they divorced, and um, that was the beginning of a lot of things I didn't understand for decades to come, but um, where really for this is when I'm five and my parents divorce, and next thing you know, you fast forward three years, they've both remarried, they both had other kids, and I really don't feel like I fit anywhere. The home I live in, no one has the same last name. The home that has the last name that I visit every once in a while, I don't feel like I fit in there. And you begin to see this take root in school uh, and other places. And literally, I got kicked out of school in fifth grade. So 10 years old, elementary school kid. And where were you growing up? Ontario, California. So uh, here in Southern California, down in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I've lived in about a hundred mile circle all my life with two exceptions, which I don't want to spoil the end. So I'll tell you that one later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so really I started having problems in school. I got kicked out of fifth grade, had to go to private school in sixth grade, ended up back in public school, seventh and eighth. 
five high schools in three years and never graduated. Oh, my. And so um, a lot of fighting, a lot of drugs, a lot of ditching school. And so 17 years old, I decided to join the Army. Um, I thought that was going to be my functional savior that would fix me. I needed discipline. Uh, Come to find out, I needed Jesus, and I I didn't have that (laughs) yet. So um, I ended up getting kicked out of the Army. Oh, wow. So I went back to Ontario, uh, went back to the streets that I'd been on, I've uh, been kicked out since I was a teenager, and so I'd lived on the streets for a while with family and friends, with other people. And uh, to summarize it, drugs turned into crime, turned into gangs, turned in and out of county jails, in and out of prison. And so I spent most of the 90s uh, locked up. And wow. so uh, late in the 90s— And how old were you at this point? Uh, so in the 90s, I was in my 20s. Okay. And so I started going to jail, um, right, getting arrested right around 15, 16 years old. Okay. And um, and then that progressively got longer terms, more county than state prison. And wow. so one of the only two times, so the only two times I've ever lived outside of Southern California was once here in Soledad, not too far away. I was in prison in Soledad my first term, and the other one was boot camp in Fort Bliss, Texas. I don't recommend Soledad prison or Fort Bliss, Texas, just <laughs> in case you're trying to vacation, all right? So, can you, yeah. Can you, remember, can you remember that moment when you're getting checked into state prison? I mean, what was that? I mean, I have to, I can't even fathom what that was like yeah. for you. So I'm not a big guy. Um, I, I, I'm not small, but I'm a big. But I was pretty skinny and pretty young my first term in prison. And um, I have some tattoos we were just talking about that reflected kind of my gang nature and some racism, some systematic bias back in my background in the streets, right? Sure. And uh, yeah, they strip you down every time they move you. And so my first, my first time in prison, you get stripped out with dudes three times your size. And, and all of a sudden, the tattoos I have in my arms, I start to question, like, okay, it just got real. And <laughs> when I was part yeah, of a gang of other right. guys who all, all looked yeah, the same, right. this worked. Now, Once a bald-headed white dudes, it was all super cool. And now, yeah, and I'm starting to second-guess things. But it, it got worse from there. I but might yeah. have to pay a price, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I realized that was it. It got worse. Keep going. Yeah, so... Uh, a couple prison terms later uh, from that one. In fact, that prison term was pretty pivotal. Um, instead of rethinking what I was doing, I pressed in and uh, I made a name for myself in prison. And so I decided I was going to go that way. And I'd resigned myself to understanding that I'd be in and out of prison for the rest of my life. And I joke and say, you know, I was doing life on the installment plan and things like that. <laughs> but that's what I was doing. So you fast forward a couple. Because you're smart. Terms. I mean, you're an intelligent person. I've yeah. known you long enough to know. I mean, you've written books. You you're you you're, you preach on a regular basis. You. Yeah. So you're not you're not doing this as a guy who's just kind of cluelessly without no. options. You're no, just, I bought in. Yeah, you're you're deciding yeah. to make this your life. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that that very thought changed my life. And so uh, I get out. I'm on the streets, and we're robbing drug dealers. So we're going through front doors with guns. It's not. I wasn't a a drug addict who you know got caught with a little bit of, in my pocket. Like I lived the life. And uh, I've gone on to li- realize that I was more addicted to the life than I was to the drugs. And so why was that? You what know, there's it, something about that. What did it do that. for you, man? I, probably power. Uh, when in real, and when in reality, I was pretty powerless over my life. You know, and that sounds like a real twelve stepy kind of thing to say, but I That's just true, mean though. it. Yeah, I just I mean it. Um, probably felt big when actually I was really fearful most mm. of the time. Wow. Um, I fought a lot. Uh, I swung first, but it was mostly out of fear because I was the smaller guy. So if I was going to get into it, I'm like, hey, I might as well try and win. You know, yeah. so I, I seemed like this, this other person, but there was a lot of fears inside. Yeah. And so I think that's what it was. I was addicted to the rush of the lifestyle and it made me feel like something or seem like something when actually probably inside I was just a scared little dude, you know, and I just 
You're kind of crazy. a boy without a family. Yeah, yeah, I was exactly that. Yeah. And so I found a family that was false and negative and perverted in a gang. Um, so we're out doing that. We uh, finished up that night. Me and some buddies were doing, we were robbing drug dealers, going through the doors with guns. And uh, in this particular case, we went through, uh, and most of the family was not in the life. And uh, they were all folks that were just every day going to school, living lives. Uh, one of them was pregnant, like ready to deliver. And I just remember with a gun on a family who the family didn't deserve it. The guy, the guy dealing, he did, but you know, not everybody deserves it, but you get, no, he, know, he, he, knew he, he knew you, what he signed you up were, for. The you family were didn't. To hitting yeah. bad guys. And now right. suddenly you're in, you're in a home and it's, it's, yeah. it's like a normal family. And I think, and I, looking back on it, I think, man, she's going to miscarry and this is going to go from a murder with a, you know, never without a fire shot yeah. fire. Right. Some things happened in that, in this home invasion robbery that, um, when I, I, later, I get arrested later that night, I, the cops would arrest me on site. I just, they knew me. They knew I was always in trouble. Local sh- cops and sheriffs. They always, and so I did go to jail later on that night, not for that. But that story started to leak out what was going on. And as I went back to jail, I knew I was looking at doing the rest of my life in prison. As soon as you move people, you're kidnapping. Hispanic drug dealer. I've come from a gang that was white and, and, and pretty racially biased. And so just so, all these so things. Hate crimes enter in at that hate point. Hate crimes yeah. enter in, right? Guns. And so you, you're looking at wow. all this. That moment where I realized I was going to do the rest of my life in prison, that was a real possibility. It was the moment I realized I was okay with that. That changed my life. It was realizing I was okay with the trajectory I was on. I was 27 years old, 26 years old. And I thought, this is how I'm going to do the rest of my life. I may never get out. And I had resigned myself to that. And that, sh- that really shook me. It was something a buddy I had said to me, like, we just kind of knew this was the life. And I remember going back to my cell, two-man cell, and I told the guy in the, that I sold with he needed to leave, that I just needed to be alone. And I remember looking through this thin door on a cell, and I saw these guys praying and sitting around a table. And I just saw them, and I said, okay, God, I've heard the gospel. I've known the gospel. My, uh, my parents, when they had remarried, one, of the, one side of the family had come to faith. Uh, and so I'd heard the gospel, been exposed to the gospel. Um, and I remember praying, okay, God, you always said you could fix my life. If you'll fix my life, I'll, I'll follow you forever. Like, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll do that. I thought it meant inside. Like, I didn't, you told me this was going to happen. I'd have laughed at you. But uh, I, I remember coming to the idea that, okay, I'm content living this way and living like in you, prison you're yeah. talking about yeah and like you said listen uh, to know me today i i've got all kinds of potential to do other things and that that wrecked my life and so i prayed um and uh, I, I wish i could tell you that like immediately i became this you know super christ looking you know kind of guy and but it didn't it was a slow process but i never went back and wow. god healed me of a drug addiction of you know, 13, 15 years, whatever it was, a, a long drug addiction. Um, I, of course, had to go do the rest of my prison term. Obviously, I didn't end up doing life in prison. I got out. Um, and uh, I don't, I, I am, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but there is not too many days that go by that I don't think about the fact that I should still be in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you do the crime, you do the time sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Man, but... So you're, you, there, there are these changes, you know, the the drug thing. Um, uh, God, God moves and brings healing for that. God gets you, obviously, gets you out of this this sentencing. Um, uh, I, I've been hearing your story, and I mean, part of your story, even it's written on your arms, right? right? 
yeah. we talked about kind of your ink before yeah. we started recording, and and you said, yeah, some of these are are covering up other things. You mentioned it in the yeah. in earlier in your story. You know, some some stories of racism and that kind of stuff in your past. So God's not just changing your your physical appetite, your need for drugs. He's doing something to change your heart right. and make your heart more tender. And you go from being a hater to somehow you, you, yeah. you love in a different way. What? Can you just talk? I mean, tell me yeah. a little bit about that. How did he? How did he peel back those layers and, and expose and, and infuse a heart of love into you? Yeah. If you fast forward to today, sure. Right, if you jump up twenty some years, and I pastor a church now that has not one dominant ethnicity in it. It's about a third white. It's about a third Hispanic and a third Asian. And then and this is some, generations. Church. Yeah, generations church yeah. is there's no one dominant ethnicity. Uh, <laughs> it's very young, but we have all generations represented. But the number one demographic is millennials, and we never aimed at that. We never tried to be diverse. And and I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I remember being fresh out of prison, like less than two years out. And and after spending some time in, getting out is is a big transformation. I got out. I married my high school sweetheart. God did some amazing things, kind of focusing and aiming at life. And, and uh, it's probably about just over a year out. Um, I'm, I'm attending this Bible study at a large church in Orange County that I ended up uh, staying with and doing some leadership stuff with there. Uh, it's now still a mega church. Um, small group Bible study in a home, Hispanic worship leader, black Bible study leader, just two guys, young. And I used to get together with them before Bible study and we would pray together, just a life group. And we just yeah. pray together. And one day I began to choke on something like just, you know, got a, a scratch in my throat. And the black guy just went to hand me his drink. And, and he's a good friend of mine, Elijah. And he went to hand me something to drink. And I realized as I grabbed this cup, it's the first time, because prison has these big, like you don't eat after, drink after anybody, not on your own race. And I just remember wow. this moment of that half a hiccup before I actually took the drink. That I thought, okay, I just like broke through some barriers here, and it's so stupid. Nobody in the rest of the world wow. would ever know this. But I remember the moment um, that God just said, listen, the hardest thing that I ever had to overcome was hatred. Mm. You know, that greatest of these is love, right? I mean, yes. so many times repeated yes. in Scripture. Let me tell you, the greatest hang-up Satan will throw in our way, man, is hatred. And yes. just this separation of people. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's the story of the New Testament church, right? I mean, for, for the gospel— to get out beyond being this kind of regional group of people all from this kind of homogenous background. They had to get to the point where they could love people yeah. who weren't like them. Absolutely. And actually receive them into the church. I mean, that's that's what yeah. happened with the Gentile world. So if you – we just took on – and, and it's, it's had different language around it through different iterations. I've planted and replanted multiple churches now. But really a love your neighbor kind of vibe. And so we've never aimed at diversity. That's never been a value. It's been a love your neighbor kind of thing. And if your neighbor looks like you, great. If your neighbor looks like something completely different or speaks a different language, whatever, let's figure out how to love your neighbor. You fast forward to today, and we just have a church that represents our neighborhood. Wow. It looks like the demographics. If you do a you know, a precept study of our of our, our city, it looks like that. And that's and incredible. That's, so but many churches, so is, many churches are asking, "What's the secret sauce? Yeah. How do we do that? How do we get a more diverse, diverse church?" And what you're saying is that, I mean, obviously you have to care about, you have to care about it, but yeah. you have to, there's something more more important that you care right. about first, right? Which yeah. is how do I love my neighbor? Yeah, what's the gospel? Yeah. It's just it is just That's the gospel. Good. That's good. Right? Um, and and that so that that leads me to to. You know, one of the anybody who listens to you very long or, or who reads um, some of what you've written, and uh, we'll, we're going to let people know at the end of the podcast how to get access to your book. Um, uh, frustrated, yeah. Um, but 
what are some of the, you're, it sounds like you're in, I mean, you're in a diverse setting. You're, you're on the front lines of our culture upheaval and yeah. shift that's going, going on right now. When you look at the world through the lens of mission, through the lens of someone called to reach out with the good news, what are some of the primary challenges that you see in your setting in sure. front of us? If we want to, if we want to, if, if you're a leader or a pastor, or even if you're just a member of a church, getting out beyond our walls out into the world, what's challenge? What's going to challenge that? that? Yeah, that's good. I <clears throat> excuse me. I, I live in a suburb of L.A. and so with this very diverse church. Uh, we have very diverse socioeconomic status, political views, uh, upbringings, backgrounds, et cetera, right? And so uh, what's interesting is we find a lot of people coming from very far from Christ. I know, I mean, you're, I, I know that you're far from Christ is far from Christ. We're not really yeah. degrees of far away, but, but like I came from really far outside the church, yeah. right? And so we have other people coming, whether it be, you know, kind of hostile atheists or, uh, we, you know, we're just outside of Long Beach, so one of the largest LGBT communities in America, you know, the third or fourth largest is, is in a city that we, you know, in the, kind of, we're in the greater right. Long Beach area. So, so we have these folks that come from outside the church or that, ha- that live lives that, you know, that, that don't fit the normal church. And so the reason I wrote Frustrated and the reason, and authors are, uh, publishers will always tell you, you know, nothing negative is the title, right? And we just, I wanted frustrated. It, that's what we landed on. And it was because I think broken people come from outside the church and they have deep, hard, painful questions. They're working from a place where they really need something satisfying and deep and meaningful and rich. And I think the gospel and I think the Bible is all that. Yes. But I think when you arrive in a church, sometimes you ask these questions, uh, and you get very unsatisfying, very politicized or surfacey kind of quoted bumper sticker answers. And I think the gospel just does so much more than that. And so that was the idea. So that for me, mission and culture is this, that there are broken people out there. It could be uh, people wrestling through suicidal things or they've lost someone they love or, uh, you know, as you know already, Adam, man, my wife is chronically ill. She's been bedridden for almost 16 years. Yeah. That's a real issue. There's no bumper sticker verse in the Bible that's going to fix that for me. So people come into the church all the time that don't know Jesus, that come in and they're longing for something deep. And the gospel has that. Or they're your next door neighbor and you, your next door neighbor is longing for something deep. And, you know, it's, you know, these bumper stickerish slogans of Christianity. And, and I'd been exposed to that in the past. And so I think the gospel piece is is really finding those hard, challenging, deep answers that the Bible offers us that aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily fit into this political party or this, you know, this side of this liberal side, progressive side, conservative side, they don't fit in there. And in fact, what I find is the answers often tend to challenge both sides. Sure. So we live, what, what I'm hearing is we, we live in a world that's already polarized. Yeah. It's already divided. Yeah. And a lot of the polarization is only enforced by slogans. Right. And what's frustrating to you is the fact that sometimes the church falls into that very same thing. Absolutely. Is that right? Is yeah, that what absolutely. you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And and so th- what you've said multiple times now is that the gospel the gospel presses us through those things. Yeah. How does it how does the gospel do that? How does how does the gospel move us beyond these kind of simple polarizations and yeah. and simplistic slogans to actual engagement with tr- reality, with truth? How does the gospel do that for us? Yeah, and it, this and this applies to anyone, but we are we are in a context just in the greater Long Beach area and so we run into 
uh, folks that have just different political views or different sexual orientation or gender identity. And, and when, when a person walks into a church, or even, even me, so when I walked into a church 20 years ago, right, when I, I had big issues to tackle, right? <laughs> big. I, I, yeah, I, that's an understatement. So if you walk into a church where you get these, these simple answers, you know, well, what do I do when I'm suffering? Well, just count it all joy, brother. You know, and just like, oh, really? Like, man, my life's a train wreck, you know? And I got out and I'm turning 30, I'm getting married, and I, I feel like, man, my wife is teaching me how to balance a checkbook, and I'm supposed to be some kind of man and figure out, I, like, I can't even hold, you know, I barely ever held a job in my life. And so I had big issues. And, and so now we have people coming where, man, they are pre-surgically transgendered and they're coming and they're asking questions and if you are on one side or the other you get these political slogan answers oh well no god loves you right where you are well that's not very satisfying when they're going through those things it may have a level of truth to it or you get this other side who's just saying hey listen man your brand of sin is just the worst thing ever and you know you've got to fix this before you come to jesus and just these are just so false right where the gospel calls it calls you in and loves you deeply and calls you to the and it calls all of us to this radical transformation, but after us experiencing this radical love, this deep love of Jesus where he gave his life for us. Yeah, and that kind of love is, we can, we can as, as the church, can only really exercise that kind of love, that kind of compassion when people, when we remember who we are yeah. and how much we need the grace yeah. of the gospel, yeah, the conviction of sin. That And I, I call people to, no matter, it, this does not matter, across the spectrum of, of the, folk, the, the folks that are sitting across from you, the, the neighbor you have or the, you know, the, the person you work with or go to school with or whatever it is. But just when we're talking about, when we're talking about sin or we're talking about brokenness or we're talking about hurt or shame, just level the playing field. Like you just sure. said, like just remembering where we come from. Yes. And so I, it's easy for me. I come from a train wreck of a life. And so it's easy for me to say, listen, I, I'm no better than, like, I, I know I'm where just I came from, broken. I know what I was yeah. doing, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes when you, if you've been raised in the church, sure, and, and you really, your conversion story is like, you remember when it re- really became real for you, but really you've been raised, and sometimes people just struggle to figure out, okay, well, how do I relate, or how do I do that? And I just, as God reveals sin to us, or as God reveals our own brokenness, or our need uh, for for Jesus and the gospel and the, and the ongoing need, my need today for Jesus is is just as clear, if not more clear, than it's ever yeah. been. One of the one of the principles of organic outreach is that when you when you find your your temperature, your, mm-hmm. your passion for outreach running yeah. low, one of the solutions is proximity. Yeah, you, know, you know, in other words, getting getting around lost people. Yeah. and and I think that's that's absolutely true. And I think another place though where we need proximity is who we are without Jesus. Mm. Never That's get too good. far away from who that person is. Never get too far away from knowing who I am without Jesus or who I was without Jesus. That's good. That's another kind of proximity we yeah. got to have, right? So, um, so Jeff, you're here. Um, uh, you're part of the Organic Outreach family. You, it's been a part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so a pastor comes to you and says, what, what do I do to ignite a passion for outreach in the heart of my congregation? How do you answer them? Yeah, I... I in, in the generic sense, and just the broad stroke, what this may fit everybody, um, honestly, uh, and this is where a lot of organic outreach training starts from, I, I like to start with the Bible. I, I mean, I'm just a Bible nerd. At the end of the day, that's what I love. I just, sitting alone in a prison cell after coming to faith with no Christian influence around me, I had a Bible. Mm. And I literally wore the covers off a paperback New Testament <laughs> until I could get a full Bible. Sure. And so I have this, 
I have this love for Scripture, that that's what transformed me in the days when I really didn't have a pastor or a community or uh, anything around me. I had that. And so um, I I like to point us back to Scripture and, and let let the love of God for people and the love of God for us, like you said, remembering where we came from, remembering how far we've fallen uh, and how God has loved us back, that reminder of, of God's love for us, that reminder of God's love for lost people, Luke 15, those three parables, the lost yeah. sheep, the lost coin, you know, and then, of course, the, the father with the two sons, and just working through learning God's passion for lost people, for me, is the thing that ignites that passion in a pastor and a leader. And when we get it, you're a lead pastor too. When we get this, this catches fire in our church. Sure, you can't lead what you don't live. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I've heard that before. I think I have once or twice too. <laughs> do we have to give Kevin credit for no, that? No, I don't think we do. Right, cool. No, we don't. But maybe we should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, just to close down, um, there are people out there listening who are leading in their, their churches and doing um, what God's called them to. You're a real, I mean, you're a local church pastor. I know what that's all about. You yeah. know what that's all about. How can we be praying for generations for your church? Man, I, I, so, we, uh, so we're a church planting church. So Generations is under three years old and we've planted three churches. And so we are in a constant season of change. And then we just, uh, we just got property. And so we've gone from being a mobile church to a rooted church in a city. And um, I can't complain the problems we have, man, a lot of churches would love to have. And so I, I say this from a place of, of gratitude and, and thankfulness. Um, there's a lot of headaches in front of us right now. And yeah. so just focus. Uh, for me, I get drawn off track of loving lost people, shepherding the people that are inside the four walls, uh, loving lost people that are outside the four walls that, that we want to see be a part of our community of faith. I get off track of those things when I'm working with contractors and trying to figure out technology glitches and everything else. And so just prayer that we would remain focused. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Well, we will pray that for you, brother. Thanks so much for taking time to be on this. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. God bless. I want to invite you out to Shoreline Community Church for an organic outreach event. So join us March 23rd for Confident Faith, Discovering Answers to Tough Questions with Mark Middleberg at Shoreline Church. Mark will answer some of the most challenging objections that people raise against Christian beliefs. Questions like, why do you believe God exists? Why would God allow evil and suffering? Why trust the Bible when it's full of myths and mistakes? How could a loving God send people to hell? What makes you think Jesus was more than just a good teacher? Why are Christians so judgmental? These are just some of the questions that Mark will be answering. So visit organicoutreach.org. That's organicoutreach.org for more details. Also, I want to encourage you again, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. Just send us an email, info at organicoutreach.org. Let us know that you want to join the team, and we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. You're going to love it. For now, this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life today. Thank you.